Welcome to the DC Podcast. Hi. Today, yeah, we are going to be talking about biblical theology. That's right. Uh, but before we do, we have to address the fact that your eye is purple and red and... Green. Green. There's some green in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, people are going to wonder, like, what's going on? Yeah, I got... Uh, I caught a knee yeah. to the eyebrow area uh, while grappling. Mm-hmm. And blood just kind of travels south in those interstitial spaces. That's exactly spaces. what happened. Yeah. Yeah, so that, it didn't hurt. I yeah. just... Uh, I had my head in the wrong place and... Uh, Rolling with a spazzy white belt. All right. And he kind of fetal positioned when I was passing his guard. And I just, I got a, I got clipped by the knee and it mm-hmm. uh, it must have ruptured a blood vessel. Okay. We, we rolled for another 90 seconds and I realized I couldn't see. And it had swollen up to the size of a golf ball right above my eye. And uh, then for the last week, it's been slowly traveling down. Yeah. So you do jujitsu so, because when sometimes you can't persuade people by force of logic, you put them in a rear naked choke. That's right. That's right. Let's just go to sleep. All right. Can we stop talking about you now and yes. do the podcast? Yeah. My name's Sean. Oh, we already got past that. We did. So we're going to talk about biblical theology. Yes. Let's unpack that term. Yeah. Biblical. <laughs> <laughs> biblical. What does biblical mean? Okay. The word Bible is not in the Bible. That's <laughs> Take that, conservative Christians. Biblical theology overall can be viewed as, you know, on the macro level, it can be tracing the entire story of redemption from the beginning of the Bible to the end, uh, or from the beginning of, actually before creation to to the end, right? Before the foundations of the world to eternity's future, okay? The kind of pocket sized definition that we give members in our church that we gave when we taught biblical theology in Sunday school was, uh, the story of how we get from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. That's not a perfect little thing because it actually goes before Genesis 1 and there's actually 22 chapters in Revelation. But we're going for pithiness. But really, the story of everything that God has done since b- before the foundation of the world, everything that he's doing now, and everything that he will do in eternity's future to bring himself glory. So That's it's, the big thing. So it's looking at God's word as one story that's one, right. one narrative that's and right. tracing that narrative through the 66 different books of, our, right. of our bible in contrast to systematic theology which is taking certain themes and subjects and trying to organize our thoughts about them what is what is what does the bible say about the church what is the church mm-hmm. we're going to try to really understand the church and put that in a category then we're going to do that with soteriology and you know all these other things biblical theology it needs systematic theology but it's different it's it's tracing the story yeah so uh, tracing that story through our Bibles mm-hmm. and understanding it as a story, as a single narrative mm-hmm. with a single author. That's right. Even though it's written through 40 authors, 66 books. Right. Yeah. Uh, that single author, though, being God. That's right. So how does this have anything to do with defending and confirming the gospel? That's a good question. Oh, you want me to answer? I do. Okay, yeah, I was hoping. Well, and before I answer that, we should talk because uh, because in or, in order to understand the answer, you need to understand that there's a sort of subset of disciplines in biblical theology, okay, which is where you don't trace the main story, the story of redemption throughout, but you actually kind of you trace particular themes throughout Scripture, right? So you you can kind of you can take the the priesthood, right? Okay, Adam and Eve, uh, as Jonathan Lehman and uh, you know, kind of regurgitating G.K. Beale would say Adam and Eve were, you know, priests, king and queen priests in the garden, right? Right. And you trace that theology of priesthood to the Levites, and then you trace it, you know, 
all the way through until you have the priest of the Old Testament and then the new covenant, Jesus comes and he's the final high priest. And now all of us, we are priests in the service of the household of God and blah, blah, blah. And so you kind of trace that theme. You can do it with sacrifice, right? After Genesis 3, animals had to be sacrificed to cover Adam and Eve. Then the sacrifice is instituted uh, in the temple practice. And then, you know, all the way, Jesus, the ultimate final sacrifice. And now we are living sacrifices, right? So it sounds like what a lot of what you're doing is reading back into the Old Testament through the lens of what we have in the New Testament. That's right. So go ahead. No, go ahead. So, you know, I see, we're seeing a lot of shadows and types and archetypes, like all these 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 images in the, the Old Testament yeah. uh, that were pointing forward to the cross, pointing forward to Christ and to his ministry that probably weren't fully understood That's right. by God's people when they received those images. That's right. And now looking back from our point of view, we can see their fulfillment. That's right. And so G- we can, we, we're tracing backwards in a sense. Yeah, I want to be careful because... What some people may hear when we say that is you're reading stuff back into it that as if it there. wasn't there. Right? Right, but we right. say it is there, and now we just fully understand it in light of Christ's coming. And I, I think I think that's important to note, though. I, I think you can overread yeah. certain things into the Old Testament text that yeah. aren't really there. Everything is a type of Christ. Everybody yeah. is. Yeah. But uh, there really are shadows and images and types that are fulfilled yeah. in scripture. And we know that because we see scripture saying that they're being fulfilled. The whole book of Hebrews. Yeah. The whole book of Hebrews, you know, the angels, the law, the priests, the sacrifice. So this isn't a made up thing. No. These, this is this is something that we're doing because we see God has already explained that's what he's done. That's right. Okay. And, and we could do that. We could talk about what biblical theology is for another 40 minutes, right? But this subset is really... It's, it's plucking the string of a particular theme from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end to understand how it fits into the greater narrative. Okay. Now, with that in mind, what does any of that have to do with apologetics? So I have three things that I think are helpful here. Okay. And we could probably have four things, five things. Maybe Ben will hop in as we're talking and he'll add a fourth thing. The people on camera don't know that Ben's here. It doesn't matter. There's a Ben in the corner. He's tall. <laughs> So the first thing is, I think it's actually helpful for in-house apologetics. Okay. When we think about apologetics, we oftentimes think, or we usually think, about arguing with atheists, agnostics, unbelievers of, of various stripes, uh, and trying to convince them uh, of the faith, right? But right. there is a sense in which, even with other Christians, we have to defend what we think, uh, defend and confirm what we think is probably the, the most robust understanding of the gospel. Sure. Right? The gospel and all of its implications. And that tone is different and the aim is different. You're not trying to get, you're not trying to see them converted, maybe. <laughs> right? Why'd you look at Ben? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got an audience, you know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, forget them. Uh, but so an, an example would be um, baptism. Okay. So we serve at a church in Decatur, Alabama. Yes, as pastors, and we are baptistic in our theology. I agree. That means that we think, we credo-baptism, we think that you must repent and believe in order to receive the new covenant uh, sign and symbol. That's right. Water baptism (laughs) by immersion, all the way up to the tippy-tippy top of your head, or else it just doesn't count. No, we don't do it like that. Okay. Across town, (laughs) across town, there is a PCA church. They are phenomenal. They are a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church. They take a firm stand on, on everything from the, the value and dignity and worth of human beings to the inerrancy of Scripture to the uniqueness of Christ and salvation. And we don't do church together, 
but we are very happy to be their partners in the gospel. Right. Nevertheless, we think they're wrong about baptism. We think that they're significantly wrong about mm-hmm. baptism. R- wrong enough that we can't do church together. That's right. We, we can't be part of the same local fellowship. Yeah. I mean, Jesus left two ordinances. If you disagree on one of them, it's hard to be a church together. That's right. Right. So we, we, we you know, we have a fence. We shake hands often and, and, and willingly across it. Right. Okay. Biblical theology is helpful in, in conversations with them because we actually do want to change their mind. Uh, it's not just like, oh, yeah, we, we both believe the gospel, we both preach the gospel, and we're kind of content to leave it there. I've had conversations with some of my friends in that church, and I've just said, hey, man, I know I may not ever convince you, but can I at least try to show you from the scriptures why I think this really does matter? And and if you don't end up agreeing with me, that's fine. We'll be friends, and we'll still co-labor, but let me try. And uh, I think biblical theology is one of the big areas uh, that help me be more sure in my position as a credo Baptist. Mm-hmm. So in, in biblical theology, you have continuity and discontinuity. Continuity is when uh, we see similarities. Yeah, that's so right. So like if we cut the tape right now and then hit record again, we'd yeah. be wearing the same t-shirts. Yeah. That's continuity. That's a good illustration. And it was off the top. You're so talented. Yeah. And so like Presbyterians, uh, they see a tremendous amount of continuity between the covenants. And I think we as Baptists want to say, yeah, we do too. Right. But we also see discontinuity, Mm -hmm. right? We think that there's something particularly new about the new covenant. Perhaps even better. Mm. I don't know. I've never heard that language before. (laughs) (laughs) And we think the thing that's new about the new covenant is that only those who have repented and believed can be members of that covenant. Right. Whereas the Presbyterians would say that covenant membership is to a mixed people. That's right. Just that, like in the old covenant. Right. That includes both the regenerate, mm-hmm. those who have the Holy Spirit and them, and the unregenerate who by familial association are part of that same group. Absolutely. So just like in the old covenant, you had a people who were mixed with regenerate and unregenerate. And that was just kind of, and anybody could receive the symbol of the covenant, sign and symbol, even if they weren't regenerate. We would say, no, in the new covenant, there's actually a discontinuity. Now, in light of what Christ has done, only those who are regenerate, as, as far as we can tell, right. are members of the new covenant. That's right. Okay. And biblical theology is, is that is biblical theology. You're, you're, you're saying, you're, you're seeing how the covenants fit together. Mm -hmm. If you see too much continuity, you're going to make a mistake on baptism. If you see continuity, but with a significant measure of discontinuity, if your biblical theology is finely tuned, I think you're going to get the right answer on baptism. Right. And and if you see too much discontinuity, you're going to start to get all kinds of wonky dispensational future and and how how the covenants play out and how the nation of Israel is going to to be uh, this promises and blessings given to Israel are going to be literally played out in the future. It's, there's all kinds of weird dispensational wow, stuff. Wow, way to offend Ben. Sorry, Ben. He thinks that literal Israel is going to, right? No? Oh, okay. Ben, anyway. any, any thoughts on that before we move on to the second point? Do we nail it? More so, or less? Without turning this into an episode on credo baptism without attacking and without dragging the presbyterian brothers and sisters under the bus how is that give give me an example of how that's biblical theology rather i mean we all we all know how to proof text yeah uh we all probably have a verse or two in mind that support our view but you're saying that there's this what you're doing is your story yeah yeah what you're doing is you're tracing the doctrine of regeneration throughout the throughout the bible gotcha right and and you see and 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 the and 
it's a little bit more complicated than that. You're, and the doctrine of the covenant community. Yes. Right? So what does the covenant community look like all throughout the Bible? And how does that re- relate to, yeah, <laughs> how does that relate to regeneration throughout all the Bible? So you would really probably take two strings and kind of pluck them simultaneously. And when you do, you see that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the strings begins to sound a different note. Got it. Make sense? Yep. Okay. Moving on. Number two, social thought. Hmm. I know everybody wants to talk about uh, social justice. I was reading in uh, the Bible this morning. so hot right now. (laughs) It's so hot right now. Uh, And the word social justice is even in the new D.A. Carson edited uh, commentary, not commentary, uh, study Bible. Okay. I'm reading in Malachi, and it's a section where they're they're talking about justice and and the word social justice right there. I mean, it's just, it's it's part of the milieu that we live in today. It's the zeitgeist. That's right. Uh, And some of that is really good. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's really good. It's probably been a long time coming. And people who have been recipients of injustice are probably very, very happy about that, and we want to rejoice with them. Uh, nevertheless, uh, anytime a, a big kind of upsurge comes, a, a trend or a movement swings through, there's always a risk, right? Things get applied the wrong way. They get carried out to illogical ends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or they, you know, just a number of bad things can happen. One of the bad things that can happen is people go to look in the Bible for answers. That's good to current social ills, still good. Right. But the way that they do that uh, is can be very unhelpful. Give me an example. Yeah. So I think one example could be corporate repentance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was a particular author, and he was talking about how uh, white America needs to repent for this particular thing. Okay. I think in that instance, he and he was using a lot of Old Testament Israel covenanted people of God repenting for their social sins. Okay. Okay. I think what you see there is bad biblical theology. I think it was a conflation of uh, old covenant Israel and and America. I don't even want to say new covenant. And and a particular melatonin count of people in America. That's right. The people who come from this, this background. Right. Of, you know, this ethnicity, this whatever. So the old covenant people of God were a spiritual, a political, and an ethnic people. Right. So it made very much sense for them when there were injustices politically Mm -hmm. uh, for them to, as an entire ethnic people and a spiritual people, come together and repent. You, you You couldn't pick at one string without pulling on the other two. Right. They were all just intertwined, okay? Uh, to take that and then apply it to white America and to try to use uh, those scriptures as justifications for why white America needs to corporately repent for like the assassination of Martin Luther King, for example. Uh, it may be true for another reason, but I don't think it's true for that reason. Got it. And I probably don't think it's true for the other reason. <laughs> which which should be its whole, this whole concept of social justice and all the many ways you can approach this mm-hmm. and all the sub-conversations mm-hmm. involved. That's got to be at least three episodes. Yeah, and we're going to do that. <laughs> we will. Yeah. So stay tuned. And we're going we're gonna to finally give you the answers you've been waiting for. But your point, my point is that if we're not looking carefully at at scripture as a single story mm-hmm. and tracing that storyline, mm-hmm. we're going to start confusing the old covenant uh people of God with yeah. white Americans or yeah. Yeah. we're going to start confusing uh our America with yeah. Israel. 
That's right. And all these other and that's happened before misappropriations of biblical truth, mis- yeah. misapplications, yeah. you could say, of biblical truths. We have to remember that we are still in the story, right? And you you have to int- interpret how to apply God's word in light of where you are in the story, and in light of where you're looking at, and where that was in the story. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they'll line up perfectly, right? You know, like for example, if you're looking at the the ritual purity laws. Uh, yeah, that's a different part of the story than we are right now, but there's still a way that that applies. You just have to be careful in how you apply it. There's a lot of wisdom and prudence that needs to be informed by biblical theology in order to make it work. Okay. Okay. Which leads us to number three, application. All right. Uh, this may seem probably like the most tangential, like, uh, what does, what does application, like, you know, applying God's word and preaching or teaching, what does that have to do with apologetics? Uh, care to offer an answer? Yeah, well, you know, when we apply God's word to our congregations or to ourselves, mm-hmm. studying God's word alone or in a small group, we are using his truth to sort of uh, strengthen. I would say strengthen. I, I was going to say to orient and to okay. sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Mm. To, li- to line up our thinking with God's thinking. Okay. Basically yeah. is what I'm trying to say. That's right. And so when we use the full counsel of God's word, you yeah. know, Old Testament and New Testament, and we do so understanding it as a single story, yeah. then we're going to protect ourselves in application from the kinds of errors that we've already talked about. Yeah, um, yeah, that's good, man. Go well, ahead. No, I'm no, done. The, the value in application is we, we, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to just say, here's this information, now go figure out how to use it. Right. Right? Uh, we don't want people to treat us that way. Help me, okay? Help me understand how this ritual purity law applies to my life today, right? Uh, so, but when we take God's word and we and we air it out and we give people the meaning and then we help them apply it to their lives, you're right. It orients every part of their lives Godwards, and it makes them stronger, healthier Christians who will do a better job in apologetics, right? Not just in what they teach, but also the way that they live, which adorns the things that they say, right. right? In their evangelistic efforts. Well, I think I think a problem I've seen in the modern evangelical world is looking at some of these harder to understand shadows and types and, and aspects of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and just dismissing it. Yeah. Like that doesn't apply to me. Absolutely. That doesn't, it's, we're on, we're on, you know, this side of the cross. None of that matters. Yeah. As if it was a different God who was yeah. teaching, as if God's word doesn't say your law is perfect. Yeah. You know, as if there isn't value and truth. And, um, I mean, is it, we, we see in scripture, Paul says that all of scripture is profitable. Yeah. It's all God breathed. And we, and we need to, and all of it points to Christ. All of the Old Testament pointed to Christ. That's right. Yeah. And so biblical theology helps us pull the application from absolutely aspects of Scripture that may be very distant from us mm-hmm. in covenant and context and time and yeah. all that. Yeah, that's absolutely right, brother. So uh, an example. Uh, I'm preaching through Malachi right now, and uh, we just got through preaching on marrying pagans and divorce. That's pretty easy application for today. A couple of weeks before that, we were... Uh, looking at the priesthood and how the priesthood in Israel was corrupt. And we were looking at uh, polluted sacrifices. Have you slaughtered a goat lately? 
Not lately. Okay. Have you seen a priest? <laughs> Not lately. Not lately. Okay. <laughs> but I want to come back to that. <laughs> no, no, no. I ha- so no, no sacrifices yeah. and no mediator between me and God other than Christ. So it doesn't apply. Doesn't apply. I can just skip that chapter. Yeah, skip that's right. Skip that book of the Bible. That's right. And that's the kind of Marcionite 20, you know, 3.0 that you were talking about. But yep. with a good biblical theology, we actually got a lot of application. We really saw, we really were able to dig in and say, man, this actually really does apply to our lives. So for the sacrifice, for example, you know, they were offering up polluted sacrifices. Well, we did in kind of the middle of the sermon, we just, we just walked out of biblical theology from Genesis three of sacrifice from Genesis three, all the way up to Romans 12. Okay. And we saw that in light of Christ's ultimate, final, perfect, all satisfying sacrifice, we now go and present our lives as living sacrifices. And so the challenge to the congregation was, are you offering up worthy or worthless sacrifices with your life? How are you using your time, your talent, your treasure in all these ways? Are you using them in a way that glorifies God or in a way that makes him look little, right? Mm. And I, I don't know that we would have been able to do any kind of real application in that sermon without having biblical theology in our tool belt. That's right. So yeah. the, bi- the biblical theology is the bridge that helps us span the gap between a prophet who lived thousands of years ago yeah. and spoke to a people in a different covenant than us, and today, us, sitting, That's right. sitting in the pew listening to the pastor. That's right. And so it, it helps build us up in our knowledge of the word, in our strength as Christians, in our, in our maturity as a church. And if, 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 if that's what's happening, if we're reading all of God's word and profiting from it, how are we not going to be better equipped to share the gospel? Amen. Amen. Pass the uh, plate. That's it. <laughs> that's it, brother. <laughs> uh, book recommendation. Uh, yeah, we, well, we have a... No, no, no. Wait, no, we're gonna. Do, we don't have it here. We don't but have we're it gonna here. tell you about it, and Russell's gonna link it, or Jake Corn is gonna link it, or one of us will link it. Yeah, Michael Lawrence, uh, biblical theology. Honestly, there's just nothing better. Graham's Goldworthy has some good stuff, and Jim Hamilton has a book that's phenomenal. But he's really hyper focused on the macro. He's trying to find that theme of redemption in every book of the Bible, and it's actually fantastic. Every preacher should have it as a resource, I think. Nevertheless. Um, Michael Lawrence, if you just want to understand what biblical theology is and all of its com- richness and complexity and how to do it well, you you can't find a better book than Michael Lawrence's. It's just called Biblical Theology. Subtitle, do you remember the name of the subtitle? You didn't end up reading it. Read your Bible the right way. <laughs> read your Bible the right way. And we'll link it. But honestly, it's, it's worth the three or four hours it'll take you to read it. Awesome. Yep. Three or four hours? Would you recommend audiobook? No. Do you do audiobooks? I do. But I, I only do it on like social commentary stuff or, or uh, fiction. I can't read theology books that way because I'm a note taker. Yeah, I got to underline stuff. Because yeah. I may come back and teach it for Sunday school. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all for this episode. I love you. Check uh, the That's link. That's not a good way to end. <laughs> Check the link for that book recommendation and uh, follow us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Podbean? Podbean. Is that still happening? That's, still, that's where we put all of our shows, yeah. Hi, Jacob. Bye. All right, bye.